Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Got a call from a friend of mine years ago, living down in Texas, neighbor, and he said, uh, hey man, what are you doing? (laughs) Anytime a cowboy calls you and asks you what you're doing, never answer. You always ask him, what do you need? (laughs) Because he needs something or he wouldn't be asking what you're doing, right? He's like, hey man, what are you doing? I said, ah, you know, whatever, what's up? He's like, man, I got a favor to ask. It's like, all right, what is it? He said, I bought a new horse. I said, oh, you did, did you? He said, yeah, I got it. Re- I got a real good price on it. I got a real good price on it. I was like, oh, this, this is sounding better and better and better. And he goes, no, the, you know, this, the, these people were in a bind and they had too many horses wanting to get rid of one. And, you know, I've been kind of thinking about getting another from a string and stuff. So uh, I went and looked at it and man, I, I, I got you know, walked out there in the pen and it just stood there. Put a, put a halter on it, let it out. It didn't pull on the halter once, nothing. Looked sound, saddled him up, no big deal. Rode him around in a little pen, just kind of a little bit lazy. He said, so I paid the guy and brought it home. And so, you know, my stepson's home for the summer. So I told him, go out there and get on that horse, you know, kind of try him out. He got on that horse, got about 10 feet down the side of the arena and it yard darted him. I said, well, and, and, you know, his stepson, he had, there's a difference in knowing how to ride and having been on a horse. Okay. And, and this kid had been on a horse. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, he probably did something, you know, didn't warm him up. There's a thousand reasons. And he said, will you come get on this horse for me? I said, well, what, what's the matter with you, cowboy? He goes, I had a vasectomy yesterday. So I used that opportunity to the utmost. I was like, and (laughs) he said, the only thing I'm putting between my legs is a bag of ice. I was like, you know, what are buddies for? Right. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll I'll come get on your horse. He's like, he's a sorrel standing in the pen by himself. I was like, all right. So the next day I went down there, nobody was home. And, uh, I went over there. Sure enough, horse just standing there. Good looking sorrel horse. Put a halter on him, walked him out, put my saddle on him in the back of the truck, led him into the arena, gypped him around. Man, I, I didn't have to hardly do anything. I mean, he trotted around like he's a professional lunger, just lazy, kind of one ear, kind of keeping an eye on me. I rubbed on him and talked real sweet to him. I'm like, oh, there ain't nothing wrong with you, is there? Oh, you good boy, aren't you? And he's like, yeah. You know, there's nothing the matter with this horse. So I, you know, I, I do everything I know to do, man. I got an arm around him. I pick up his feet. I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm kind of you know, pulling on the back cinch a little bit. <laughs> nothing. I, I don't know what that kid was doing, but there ain't nothing wrong with his horse. I step up on him. <laughs> Just stood there. Let's go. <sighs> so he walks off. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I kicked him into a trot and he bucked me off on the second jump. Oof. Well, my buddy had said, man, if he bucks you off, he goes, I, 
I'm not asking you, I'm not paying you to ride my horse. I'm asking a favor. So if something happens, man, you you just let me know because I I don't want to be a bronc rider and I don't want to pay you for somebody to ride this horse, blah, blah, blah. So he bucks me off and I get up and, you know, I got dirt all over me and everything. He's still standing there like, hey, what's up? I called him a lot of things besides a good boy and I put him back in the pen. I was not a cowboy that day because he bucked me off hard and that really wasn't the point. I just didn't want to get bucked off again. And so anyway, I called my buddy and I said, hey, said, rode that horse of yours. He said, you did? I said, yeah, for about 15 feet. I said, he bucked me off hard, dude. He goes, are you serious? I said, yeah. He goes, well, if he bucked you off, he said, I I can't ride near, I can't ride bucking horses near as good as you. And if he bucked you off, I ain't getting on him. Said, well, I should have, we should have believed your stepson with what he said. We should have believed what he said. He said, man, I didn't do nothing wrong. He was just late. Everything that he said is exactly what happened. We should have believed him. And in John chapter three, the first 21 verses is all about that word, believe. And starting in verse 11, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. Now, you have to understand that that, uh, Israel is a religious state, meaning there is no separation of church and state. The religious people are the leaders of the state, and, and Nicodemus is on the ruling council. I mean, he's one of the head honchos. He's like a, you know, the secretary of state or a senator in Israel. And Nicodemus goes to Jesus late at night because he doesn't want anybody to see that he's going to talk to Jesus, right? So he goes and he talks to Jesus. And after a brief discussion, this is what Jesus says. He says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we have seen. And yet you don't believe our testimony. I think about that. That's what I can't tell you how many times I've read John chapter three. And and although I've read those words, I never really thought about what they said. Jesus, I assure you, he's not saying, hey, man, you know, you might think about this. He's like, I am giving you the God's honest truth because, you know, I am God, right? (laughs) There's no truth greater than this. When Jesus says, I assure you, it is written in stone. It's written in stone that that he made, right? Right. I assure you, we tell you that what we know and what we've seen, and yet you don't believe our testimony. You don't believe what we said. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Today, we're talking about belief. Jesus says it right there, and he's talking to a guy that's a Pharisee. I mean, these were the most religious people in the world, and and Nicodemus isn't even understanding, and Jesus knows that he's not believing what he says. So Jesus says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. You won't believe what we say. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? You know, when I was having breakfast with my buddy, we we talked about it. I said, you know, I I bet if we went and asked everybody in this restaurant, do you believe in God? Most people would say yes. But I also bet that most of them are not truly following God. 
Because see, most people think that, that, that when they believe in God, that they believe that there is a God. Well, you know, even the de- demons believe that there's a God and they tremble in fear, right? So it's not just an intellectual belief. There's more to it than that. And that's what Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus, that, that when he says believe, he's not just talking about a, 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 a belief that, that is an intellectual belief that doesn't mean anything. It's a belief that means everything. We're going to talk about the results or, or maybe characteristics. Are you sure you believe what you think you believe? And we'll talk about three results of an actual belief. The very first one is found in verse three that kind of starts the whole conversation with Nicodemus. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Man, when you're reading the Bible and Jesus himself says, I tell you the truth, whatever follows is probably important, okay? I mean, that's just a guess, but it is probably important. And he says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean to be born again? And, and that's what Nicodemus says. He's like, what do you mean born again? Can, a man, can an old man like me go back into the womb? And, you know, I'm sure Jesus will shut up. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. But what does it mean? I mean, what does born again mean? Well, we always have to use the Bible to explain the Bible. And, and I'm not going to say that this is an exhaustive uh, list of what it means to be born again. We could probably study it for the rest of the year and, and barely reach the tip of the iceberg. But there are four things that the Bible says that are characteristics of what it means to be born again. The first one is found in 1 John 2, 29. And I'm going to summarize it for you instead of just reading it. But basically, if you are born again, you are a reflection of God's righteous character. Somebody that is born again is a reflection of God's righteous character. Let me say that another way. You are a a reflection of perfection. I didn't say that you are perfect. You are a reflection of perfection. In other words, you do what God does. Or to use a cliche, what would Jesus do? That's what you do. You act like Jesus. That's the whole point of being a Christian is to follow him and become Christ-like. If you are following him and becoming Christ-like, then you are a reflection of perfection. You are not the perfection, but you are a reflection of it. I got into a lot of trouble. Well, I always get in trouble. But I got in a lot of trouble one day because I had said something and this pastor got on to me and he said, well, we as pastors should be the example for our flocks to follow. And I said, well, hey, you must be a better man than I am because I never point to my example. I use Jesus as the example to follow, not Kevin. Because, you know, if if I use myself as an example of y'all do what I do, you're going to be really good at the things that I'm good at. And you're going to stink at the things that I stink at. I want you to be better than me. I want y'all to be so far ahead of me that it's not even funny. Well, he got mad and blocked me and, you know, (sighs) 
one of those deals. But you know, we, we, when you're born again, 1 John 2, 29 says that we are a reflection of God's righteous character. We are a reflection of his righteous character. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 is a second characteristic of what it means to be born again. And what that is, is we are free from habitual sin. I love that. Free from habitual sin. As long as we're on this earth, look, we're going to fall. Okay. But there is a difference in stumbling over something and falling down and making a mistake and living a habitual life of sin where you are doing something that you know you shouldn't do every stinking day and it controls your life. It's the first thing you think about when you wake up. It's the last thing you think about before you go to bed. If you've got one of those sins, you need to start questioning what you actually believe. Because if you have been born again, you are a reflection of perfection, but you have also been set free from the life of habitual sin. The third thing that is characteristic of being born again is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And that is where we have a living hope. Well, what does that mean? Living hope. That's what Peter says. We have a living hope. A living hope means you know that everything's going to be okay. It does not say everything is going to be easy. And it doesn't say that everything is going to be pain-free. And it doesn't say that everybody's going to act the way you want them to act. And everybody's going to say what you want to say. And you're going to have the job that you want to have. And, and all of this stuff. It doesn't say that. It says that we have a living hope. And a living hope means that in the end, we know that everything is going to be okay. We know that everything is going to be okay. Born again, the characteristics the last one, Romans 12, 2, there is an ongoing transformation. There is an ongoing transformation. So when you're born again, Jesus said, I tell you the truth that unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God, that we are a reflection of perfection, that we are free from a life of habitual sin, that we have a living hope, and that we are in a continual transformation. Romans 12, 2. Those are the four things. Not, not the only four things, but that is a good, broad overview of what it means to be born again. And, and in that last one, I think kind of summarizes everything. If there is not a line of demarcation if there is not a line in your life of what your life was like before Christ and what your life was like after Christ, you might need to sit down with yourself and sit down with God and truly ask yourself if you believe the way God says to believe. Is there a line down the middle? Do, do others, has, has other people seen a change in you? Have you lost friends? Or, or is the only thing that's changed what you do on Sunday mornings? If so, man, I, I hope that I can encourage you to reevaluate. Because if Jesus says, truly, I tell you that unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. That's pretty tough stuff, guys. 
Then Jesus continues on and he says, and as Moses, and this is in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, what in the world does that mean? He's talking about belief again. Well, in the Old Testament, when, you know, Moses and the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and everything, there was a time when these poisonous snakes came out and they bit everybody and everybody was crying out saying, oh, you know, and the people were dropping dead and, you know, Listen, you didn't dial 911 back then and the you know, life flight come and pick you up. Okay. This was a life and death situation and like everybody gets bit. So God tells Moses to put this snake on a pole and lift it up and tell everybody that if they would gaze upon that snake that was lifted up on the pole and believe that God would save them, that they would be saved. And everybody that believed that was saved. And listen, that's what Jesus is saying right here. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so that son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Look, man, sin, we've all been snake bit. It's killing us. And God lifted his own son, not a bronze snake, but lifted his own son up to become sin for us. So that if we believe in him, that he died for us, that God sent him to die for us, that we would be healed. And then the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, For this is how God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, most people can quote this, but a lot of people don't know that it's Jesus talking in third person. For this is how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. My friend was talking to another friend of ours and they're like, what's been going on? He said, oh, you won't believe it, man. The other day I bought this new horse and uh, my stepson went out there and got on it and it bucked him off pretty hard, hurt his back supposedly. And then, so I called, I called Kevin and asked him to come get on him. And he rode him, he rode him hard for 10 or 12 feet. Then it bucked him off. And this buddy of ours, Johnny, Johnny was a good cowboy, not because he had all the skills, but what he made up for skills, he was just stupid tough. And, and sometimes that's the only qualification you need for, for being a cowboy is just to be hard-headed and stupid tough. And that, that was Johnny. So Johnny says, you got all these kids riding this horse. Bring it to a man. <laughs> Let me go load that horse up for you, Johnny. <laughs> I, I, I'm learning all of this after what I'm about to say. So my buddy's like, okay. <laughs> he's like, you know, right? He's bucked two people off. He, you know, they rode him a combined 14 feet and he's bucked two people off. One, not a good cowboy. The other one, pretty sticky, skinny cowboy. He's like, ah, I'll put him in the round pen. No big deal. <laughs> I get a call about a week later from my buddy. He's like, hey, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what? He said, you remember that sorrel horse? I said, I'm still sore from that sorrel horse. He said, I took him to Johnny. I said, how did Johnny do? He said, Johnny got two teeth knocked out and four broken ribs. 
bucked him off into a cross tie round pin and run over the top of him. And then when he come around again, he kicked him. <laughs> Take him to a man. <laughs> well, he took it to a man. All right. <laughs> Johnny said, I guess I should have believed everything that y'all said. Should have believed it. It's easy to talk about horse wrecks and believe in somebody when they say, man, man that horse is nasty. But what about Jesus when he talks? Because, you know, Jesus said, I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we have seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. You won't believe what we tell you. You won't believe our story. But if you don't believe me, when I tell you about earthly things, how can you believe about heavenly things? And then Jesus says, man, surely I tell you, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And then when you are born again, man, you, you, you get eternal life. But, but it's hard for us to comprehend eternal life because eternity is not an elongation of time. It's the absence of time where there will be no pain, no suffering. But most people can't wrap their heads around it because even Jesus explained why. He said, if you don't believe me about earthly things, how can you believe me about heavenly things? And he goes on to say that there's no condemnation for those that believe in me. And we know that when he says believe, we're talking about giving your entire life to him to be born again. For this is how God loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Man, you know, everybody says, I don't know what to do. And if I'm not mistaken, it's John 6, 59 or 39, something like that. It's in John where Jesus says, the only works God requires of you is to believe in the one he sent. Man, religion will say, oh, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this and you have to do that. But God said, Jesus said, the only works God requires of you is to believe in the one he sent. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the only thing we will ever do as Christians. But when he says believe in the one he sent, he's talking about being born again. He's talking about granting eternal life. Whenever I was looking at about this, that, that about judgment and, and those that have been born again, you know, they get to go to heaven and the others get to go to the killer pen. You know, I, I think of, of cattle buyers sorting cattle and they'll, they'll have a little rattle paddle or something like that. And they'll be like, in, buy, 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 in. And, you know, are they going to be replacement heifers or are they going to the feed yard? Right? Well, when God judges... If God was to judge the world accurately, there'd be one in the pen and that'd be Jesus because he was the only one that's perfect. But see, Jesus said, man, God, what if, what if I go put my brand on others? God's like, I don't care what they look like. I don't care if they're all skin and bones. I don't care if they got a lump on their neck. I don't care if they're lame. I don't care anything, man. If they got your brand on them, son. They gonna come onto the ranch forever. So whenever we're being judged, that's all God is looking for is that brand on our hip. That's why he says that there is no judgment. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Anybody who's born again and has that brand. Do you believe what you say you believe? And the judgment, it says, uh, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, 
But people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their fear that their sins will be exposed. Nobody wants to take that good hard look at themselves and realize that none of us deserve what God has given us. None of us do. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it at all. We're sinful. We're sorry. And God loves us anyway. But what is this light that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about himself. He is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And finally, the third result of an authentic belief is this. It's found in verse 21. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. How many times have y'all heard me quote this verse? Why do you call me Lord, but yet you don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? We started off with the deal that says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we've seen, but you won't believe us. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, if you can't do what I tell you to do here, there's no way you can comprehend or get to where I want you to go. That's why he ends that conversation with Nicodemus saying, but those who do what is right come to the light. Born again. Do you believe what you say you believe? Is there a result of that belief? Are you born again? Will you get eternal life? Are you scared of being condemned? Are you scared of being judged? You have no fear. There's no fear in Christ Jesus. Man, if you have been born again, you've been set free. You're a reflection of perfection. You're free from habitual sin. You have a living hope and you are in a continual state of transformation. That's what it means to be born again. And when you're born again, you have eternal life. No judgment, no condemnation. And you also strive to do what is right. And what is right is what Jesus asks us to do.